0: Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Whenever someone asks me what they need to do to be a member of all souls, I always feel like it's important to clarify exactly what the question is. If the question is, how do I get a seat at this table? How do I participate and join in? How do I belong? The answer is, you just do it. Here's your seat. Sit down. You belong if you want to belong. If, however, someone is asking something more, if the question is, I don't just want to belong to this community, I want to be responsible for this community, I have deep resonance with this way of following Jesus, and I want to know more how to put my shoulder to this work alongside this community. Then we say, Well, join with us on our rule of life and spend the coming years trying to discern and figure out what that actually means. (laughs) Say with us that we want to seek to follow Jesus with our entire hearts, with our hopes, with our dreams, with our fears, with our struggles. And we want to do this together. In a way, it's a reflection of what the Hebrews reading told us today about what Jesus had to do in his own life, how he had to learn obedience. We want to spend the rest of our life learning what it means to be obedient to the way and the person and the message and the truth of Jesus. And so on November 22nd, The last Sunday of this church year, the the Sunday before we begin our new year in Advent, we as a community will take our rule of life. And whoever wants to join us will be free to take that with us. And whoever won't uh, doesn't feel the freedom to do that, we're going to ask you to encourage us and pray for us and cheer us on. Since at least the sixth century, Christian communities, uh, mostly at least in the early days, monastic communities Varying forms of intentional Christian communities had some way of ordering their shared life. Most of this grew out of St. Benedict's rule. It comes from the conviction that Christian faith is about the story we're living in, it's about what we believe. But it's also about the way we're living the story. As Christians, we are caught up into the truth of how God's kingdom rules over the world. But then we want to be transformed more and more into people whose lives and energies and hopes practice the way of this kingdom. It comes from the conviction that God is actually doing something with us. That God has not abandoned us, that God isn't some distant deistic force, but that God is present in his spirit, in the world, with his people, and God is doing transformation. God is making us new. God intends for our lives to be more free, more joyful, more true. Listen to the opening lines of St. Benedict's rule. This is the rule that has either uh, overtly or in quiet ways informed most Christian communities in the centuries to follow. Listen carefully, my children, to the master's instructions and attend to them with the ear of your heart. This is advice from a father who loves you. Welcome it and faithfully put it into practice. So as we mentioned last week, our community's rule is built on the foundation of the true story of God and God's world, the apostles and the Nicene creeds, these creeds that we pray alongside God's people around the world. And our rule begins with our baptism, enacting how God buries us and God rescues us. And this baptism that marks our decision to surrender our life to Jesus But then we recognize how across history and geography, almost every kind of Christian community that we are aware of has shared some kind of vows of Christian discipleship. If you were a monastic community or some kind of intentional community, centuries ago leading up even to now would have been vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And these vows are interpreted in various ways given the tradition that they come from, given the type of community that they are. But at the very root of it, it seems that Christians have understood that these three areas, money, sexuality, and power, are places of particular temptation. They're places where we need sincere help to be the redeemed human that God hopes for us to be. And so our rule of life will echo these words. Because we are a community in the way of Jesus, we commit to be obedient to Jesus, submitting to him as Lord over our life, including our money, our sexuality, and our power. So this vow of poverty, which we understand to be at the root about money, is all about the stuff that we own, all of the resources that we have, I continue to think that talking about our money may be our last cultural taboo. Last week, as we read about the rich ruler, remember how he went away sad, the scripture says, because he owned a lot. Most of us in this room own a lot. We have a lot at our disposal. And we have to hear Jesus' words with the ear of our heart. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures, and I want to pause here. When Matthew talks about heaven, he's, Matthew's not just talking about some distant, distant reality that we might get to someday. He's talking about the realm where God's kingdom rules in its fullness The place where God's rule is precisely as God intends for it to be. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever our treasure is, that's where we'll find our heart. And then Jesus says these, these stirring words for us No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despite, despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, I'll be honest with you, this is a difficult word for me. Left to myself, I'm pretty greedy. I can be very concerned about my future and all the economic things that are required to provide that future toward which I most desperately cling, the future for my kids, the future for my family. If we drill down even to some of our deepest uh, political struggles, it seems like sometimes it has to do with how we view money, with whether we're in control with whether we're responsible for others. I know that I told you the story a couple weeks ago, and it's bad form for a preacher to repeat a story in the same month. <laughs> but I couldn't get away from it this week. It's the story of uh, Episcopal priest Robert Farrar Capone. And he was uh, doing some supply preaching in a parish church, and it happened to be in a resort town known as being a place for the wealthy and the famous. And he stood up in that pulpit on that Sunday, and pulled a $20 bill out of his pocket, pulled out a lighter, lit it aflame, and said, I have justified your God. (laughs) Now, I like that story, but I like it when I think about it happening in a room of people who are rolling in cash. I don't like to think about it when it has to do with me, my resources, what I have. To say that Jesus is Lord over our money, over all of our resources, is to, to believe that God really does provide everything we need. If God provides everything I need, I don't have to clutch to what's mine. And I'm not sure that there is really any place in our current moment that most strikes the question about what we believe about God and the kingdom of God is how we use what's ours. Because the scripture tells us over and over again that really it's not ours at all. It's God's. And then there's the vow for chastity. What we understand as a call to wholeness in our sexuality. It's about how we give ourselves in marriage and how we eschew the damage that comes from lust but it is part of something much bigger. It's a, part, it's a belief in singleness. It's a belief in God's view of our wholeness as a person. It's the belief that Christians have an embodied spirituality. We believe that our bodies are good and that our bodies matter and that God's love flows through us to others. Paul tells us in Romans... This prophetic word, to us, it seems to me, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We yield as Christians our very bodies to God as worship. Our being, our whole self. Now, this seems odd to us, perhaps, because we moderns are so utilitarian. We've lost much of the mystery of the human person and so much of the wonder and power of what it means to live in a body that God says is the very temple of the Holy Spirit. And this body spirituality is about how we live in our world and how we live in relationships with one another, how we live in friendship with others, how we honor the sacramental act of sex and how we treat and refuse to treat one another, how we honor and respect one another's body. This has to do with body image, and the ways that men degrade women, and the ways that we use one another in selfishness. It means our body, our person, is far more than just a lump of molecules that one day we'll discard, but that our bodies are beautiful expressions of God's image in us, and our bodies participate in God's rule in the world. But it also comes with an awareness that our bodily life must be healed and transformed and set free along with every other part of us, along with every other part of creation. And I know that this is the realm, probably more than any, that causes so much shame and that we use to heap so much shame on one another. Many of us, I know, think that our sexual history or our constant struggles make us unable to do things like taking on a rule of life, believing the lie that perhaps we're too troubled or we're too scarred. It's really interesting to me that we don't seem to have these kind of questions around issues of money or power. The question simply is, do we want to? Do we want whatever God has for us? Do we want to be whole? Do we want to be healed? As you might guess, whenever people want to talk about this part of the rule of life, the question I most often get is right around this question of sexuality. The question I hear is, when all souls ask me to say, Jesus is Lord over my sexuality, what exactly are we asking And my response is always something like this. Your church is asking you to join God's people across millennia in declaring Jesus' rule over our life, including these parts of our life that are most dear to us, these parts of our life where we feel most vulnerable or more self-protective. Your church is asking you to seek to give Jesus the final say over your personhood over your body. We won't get this all right. We will struggle with money and sexuality and power and lots and lots and lots of other things until the day we die. But we do seek to help one another become more and more submitted to Jesus and to Jesus' subversive way in the world. Declaring God as the authority over our lives is an essential component to being a follower of Jesus. And as we said last week, we have to remember that all of this starts with baptism, with being drowned in the love of God, being submerged into God's life. Our Christian faith begins with death. We die, and then in Jesus we are resurrected we live however this question of Jesus' lordship over our sexuality please hear this is not a place of shame we are all in one way or another messed up with all of this stuff we are all together moving toward mercy neither is our rule of life some underhanded way of recruiting troops for the culture wars God help us know Most of us are conscientious objectors in these skirmishes. And to be very clear, this is not some stiff arm to gays who are beloved members of our community. Another question that people ask a pastor, and it's tragic to me that this question has to be asked, are gays welcome at this church? Yes. With arms wide open? Yes. The question that we're asking is, what does it mean to be gay and follow Jesus? And this is the same kind of question that we're all asking, whether gay or straight or wherever you place yourself along or outside of this spectrum, what does it mean for me to be who I am and to follow Jesus? What does it mean for me to recognize my story and my reality and to seek to love and obey and follow and be healed and transformed by Jesus. This is our common cause. And we want to elevate these conversations, acknowledging that following Jesus asks much of us. And will likely, if the scriptures seem to say what it seems like they say, will probably undo all of us. And surrendering to the scriptures that Jesus proclaimed is a daunting thing. And all of us will be unmade by God's love. And all of our perspectives will likely, likely at some point or another be shattered. And all of us, we pray by God's mercy, will find our healing in Jesus. And the obvious fact, if you pay attention at all, right now is that many Christians are trying to understand some of these things. Straight Christians are trying to understand and gay Christians are trying to understand and LGBT Christians are trying to understand and some think they know for sure and others are confused and others are praying and asking questions. And many of us are trying to listen we're trying to listen to our brothers and our sisters, to listen to the scripture that we trust is our guide, to listen to our own pains and our own hopes. We're trying to listen to God and to the wisdom of the Spirit, but we're not all hearing the same things right now. So we continue to pray and listen and walk in humility and extend the love of Christ to one another. And together we're seeking to learn, what does it mean to be a bodied person and to announce that Jesus is Lord over all of us and that Jesus is Lord over all of me and that Jesus gets the final say. And together we're working in humility and conviction and love and the power of the spirit to faithfully follow Jesus. And as we do this together, we announce Jesus is Lord. And this is what we're asking of you. So there's this vow about our money, the stuff that we have. There's a vow about our bodied person, our sexuality. And there's this vow about our power, about obedience. And it's kind of tragic that I'm running out of time because my hunch is that this may be the, the real important point for us. To say Jesus is Lord over our power means to obediently surrender to God's rule in the world and to use our energy, our voice, our resources, and our gifts to participate in the King's grand project of restoration. We use our vocation to serve the flourishing of God's world and God's creatures. We stand up against injustice and we use our friendship and our homes and our information to announce the goodness the mercy, and the justice that God intends for the world. Brendan and I have been meeting with a number of pastors, and it's intentionally white and black pastors together, and one of the leaders has challenged us as white churches that one of the things we need to most do is to be for the black community and the building up of the black community. And he said some things that were challenging and stretching, and so I had to have dinner with him and we talked some more, and I said, what does this actually mean? I'm still trying to understand this, but he said it means that as the white church, you share your information. All the things that you know that are part of your life and part of your way in the world and part of the way that your families and your networks of friends have sort of made their existence in the world, you don't even see it, but that many who are in the black community don't have access to that information, and information is power. I don't know what this means for sure, but I'm darn going to find out. There are ways as followers of Jesus, if we are going to be made new, if we are really going to follow in the way of the kingdom, if we are going to allow the transformation that God has available to us to happen, we have to lay everything down. Our perspectives, our ownership, our lives, our futures, our vocations, our resources, ourselves. And we say, God, make me and do what you want in this world with me. Make something new. Now, I'm the first to say that this is not a one-time event. This is a lifetime of returning again and again to this reminder that God wants the whole of us it's returning again and again and, and 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 listening and and waiting for god's direction and 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 living in places of ambiguity at times but then when you hear a clear word you step into it with obedience learning like jesus how to be obedient to the kingdom so we support those in positions of power economic power political power cultural power academic power Those who try to do good. And we resist those in power who do evil. And as we do these things, we are once again saying that Jesus is Lord. So in our rule of life, this is what it's about. Now, in many ways, we talk about these being our hopes. There is no idea here that we're going to arrive at this. And this is not a moment for each of us to walk away and say, I just don't know if I'm there. I don't, like, I don't think I fulfill all of that. Of course we don't. <laughs> this is the point. None of us do. But together we're going to say, this is the way we're going to walk. We're going to walk toward Jesus. We're going to hope that each year in new ways, new parts of ourself become undone and remade in Christ. And we love one another along the way. And we accept one another where we are along the way. And we have vast amounts of space for the work that the Spirit of Christ will do in me and in you along the way. And we love one another. And we ask Jesus to be Lord over us because that changes every conversation that changes every future. It changes every hope. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.